Hey, everybody. We're really enjoying bringing this podcast to you. If you enjoy listening to Unlimited Partners, then would you do us a favor? Share the podcast with someone in your network or hop on and write us a review on Apple or Spotify. We really appreciate it. Welcome to Unlimited Partners, a podcast on partnership. I'm your host, Thomas McGannon. I'm an investor on a journey to understand what makes great partnerships. This podcast is my way of recording that process and sharing it. I had a conversation today with Caitlin Holloway. She is the co-founder of 776 with Alexis Ohanian. And oh my gosh, like it was, it was awesome. We had a really good conversation. She's a badass. I mean, she spent a number of years at Pixar. She played a really instrumental role in turning Reddit around. She was at Initialized, which, you know, like storied returns and very beloved fund. I think that she's, she's done so much on the people side of, of company formation that I think that there's just a, a shitload that I can learn about. Uh, you know, I say all the time, like companies are just people. Like I think that she's somebody who can really teach me some hand to hand lessons on, on, on how that, how that works. And so, yeah, it was fun. Um, I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty energized. Unlimited Partners is brought to you by Tegas. It's fair to say that I built my technology investing career on the Tegas platform. Since joining as a beta customer back in 2017, I've personally conducted hundreds of primary expert interviews, and I've read or listened to more than 10 times that many using their searchable on-demand transcript database. I simply couldn't imagine making an investment or critical business decision without consulting the knowledge that's captured in their platform. So whether you're a professional investor, corporate development executive, or just someone who's looking for expert insights, give Tegas a try by visiting tegas.com. Let's talk about my marketplace builder. It, it really is the future of the world right now. Exactly how Shopify did it with the e-commerce world where people needed to go through and sell their stuff online. We're doing that with the marketplace spots. There's no limits to how you want to grow your marketplace and how do you want to do it or what your marketplace idea is. So the website is mymarketplacebuilder.com. If you have a marketplace idea, then please go check them out. Unlimited Partners is not investing advice. The host and members of Unlimited Partners may have a position in the securities discussed. Please do your own research. So please enjoy my conversation with Caitlin Holloway, founding partner of 776. Caitlin, I've listened to a number of interviews that you've given and in almost every one, you mentioned your first investment, Poppy Seed Health, and the fact that you made that investment with your mom. I think that's such a cool thing that you share with each other. Can you tell me a little bit about who your mom is and how she contributed to the person that we're talking to today? Absolutely. I, I adore my mom. So Jan, her name is Jan. Jan grew up in a really, really tiny little town in Kansas, Holton, Kansas, to be exact. And she spent every waking hour of her childhood into early, early adulthood trying to get out of there. <laughs> and so I think that that has, has had a big impact on who she is and then therefore, you know, translated to me and how she decided to raise her family. And so knowing that she spent so much of her early days just desperately trying to get out of Kansas, that that built a lot of who she is. So if I were to describe my mom, I would say she is fiercely independent, like 
epically independent. And I think that that was her greatest wish for her children as well. And that's not to say, you know, the, that you shouldn't be dependent or care for your, your family or have close relationships. But it was very, very important to her that, that she could stand on her own two feet. And she did it at a very young age and that she wanted myself and my brother uh, to be able to do so as well. And so my mom is fiercely independent. She is a wild feminist. She is a lifelong learner. My mom is an educator, recently retired. She was an elementary school teacher for her entire career. And she is deeply, deeply committed to not just teaching, but to learning. And that's something that I really am grateful that she passed along to me. She also was a world traveler. So part of her getting out of Holton, Kansas included circumnavigating the world, I think like three or four times um, on pennies. Your mom being an educator and you actually having spent time as a teacher yourself. Can you talk about what education has meant to to your family, where now I think you've talked a lot about how you love to foster learning, but also recognize that school isn't necessarily the ideal environment for fostering those desires? Absolutely. Learning happens every day, all around us, in in the very, very small and in the very large. I have two little boys. I have a a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. And there is absolutely a place for formal education and there are important things that we need to, you know, stepping stones and building blocks that we need in place in order to, to develop our book smarts, our skills. But there, there is so, so, so much more to learning than that. And that is something that I'm very grateful to both of my parents for having taught me when I was really young. There's magic and joy in walking down the sidewalk with a four-year-old who has found a ladybug with no spots and, and trying to discover in this wild world of is this a different type of bug? Is there something different about this particular ladybug? Is this even a ladybug at all? And having a conversation, you know, what starts as, as just a small curiosity that as adults, we might step over or, or step on in our hustle and bustle of trying to get to the next thing. But the reality is, is learning is all around us. And I think that having children has had a really profound impact on my ability to retain that lifelong learning commitment and just really find that curiosity in everyday moments. My partner, my husband, Ben, he didn't go to college. And so growing up in a house of of educators, I didn't know that not going to school was an option. And I think potentially if I had known that, I maybe would have opted out. But I do love learning very much. I didn't love school. And there's a big difference. There's a very big difference. And so for my children, I'm trying to teach them a love for both because there is absolutely a place for both. When you talk about fostering that love of learning, I think that what comes to my mind is the demands on patience that as a parent you are subject to. So when when your child notices a ladybug that doesn't have spots, Having the awareness to stop and use that as an opportunity to foster curiosity. As you've grown a career as a person who deeply understands that companies are just people, and a lot of times growing that love of something is really like, oh, it's, that's where the superpowers are found. Yeah, no, I, I love that. You nailed it with, with patience. Patience, curiosity without patience um, is irritating. <laughs> Uh, you yeah, really that's having so, that. It's that, so true. I, I mean, mean right? how <laughs> many times that our kids have asked like a, a very honest, sincere, curious question. And because I don't have patience, I get irritated. And I know that that's the wrong response. 
I'm trying to rewire, but it's so challenging. It's a mindful practice is what it is as adults, that gap between being a child and then becoming a parent. There's generally speaking, there's a lot of years in there where we are being hardwired to do different things. And I think that formal education in the schooling system, nine times out of 10 is going to, to kind of beat that curiosity out of us. I'm going to back up okay. for two seconds um, and address the question that you asked about curiosity in my own career yeah. and, and the impact that that has had, because I think that that will paint the, the more full arc to where not only where I got today as an investor, but then how that impacts my work with founders and other executives. And so um, the, the shortest possible version is I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. And I have had and maintained that attitude for my entire career. And the blessing in that that I have discovered is that our careers should not be static, and that nor should they be linear. And so I've spent a lot of my career bouncing about between different industries, different roles, and working you know, on very, very different products. And knowing that I'm not looking necessarily for a destination, right? What When I grow up, what does that mean? It means nothing. Um, it means, you know, when I, when I turn back into stardust and I'm returned to the universe, like, what will I have accomplished? And it, for me, that, that curiosity is, is actually the key to my success. And so for every job that I had, every task that I did, when I was interested in something or curious about something, I would investigate it. And so when you investigate something, again, having that patience to, to, to nurture that curiosity, to build knowledge, is where I would discover the new. And whether that was a new interest, a new passion, a new connection or relationship, every moment of curiosity that I investigated led to a discovery. And that knowledge builds on itself. A few years ago, I transitioned from being an HR executive or a people and culture executive, an operator, you know, with over a decade worth of experience in, in the world of tech. I, I transitioned to being an investor. And a lot of people ask me like, oh, why did you decide to switch careers, you know, at this stage in your life? You know, you were, you were sitting at the top of, of you know, your, your function in your field and, and blah, blah, blah. And, and the reality is because I was curious about something, and in that particular case, I was very, very curious about the wealth gap it, from the seat that I had in-house being responsible for compensation for my organizations, that little bit of curiosity actually helped me to realize that I didn't pivot my career. I didn't switch. I did switch my organization, but it, I really view being an investor as an expansion of my HR career because so much of it is people focused. And so much of what the work that I do and the work that I love to do and have the privilege of doing is the same work that I was doing before, which is amplifying and supporting and investing in people. And so when you view things without the, the boundaries and, and borders of a LinkedIn profile or a, a resume, what you realize is that everything that you've done builds on the last. And so like I said, wh whether it's, it's a skill set building or a knowledge set build, you really are just developing and further shaping the work that you've always done. And so changing that narrative and exploring and investigating those moments of curiosity have really fueled my success and I'm not done. Um, I, I do want to spend just a minute here on, on 776 because I think that the way that you guys have set this up, being stage agnostic 
being to a certain extent business model agnostic and having the range of investing in a sports team or investing in something that's like super crazy technical that most listeners, myself probably included, don't fully understand. I feel like there is some first principle who are we question that you all asked and answered that then informs and enables. Yeah, I I would love to talk about 776. I could talk about 776 all day long. We are still young. We're only like a year and a half old at this point. We've raised just shy of a billion dollars in total. So we've been busy and we've invested in a very large number of companies at this point. And to your point, they are all over the map in terms of stage and industry and type of product. We we are all over the map. So similar to my career, it looks like a wild doodle until you squint your eyes very closely and you can see things that are common threads. And the reason I say we're, we're young and the caveat that I give with that is that we are still trying to figure out who we are. And that is going to be a lifelong journey for us. 776 is is our destiny. This is the place that we are meant to be. We are exactly where we should be doing exactly what we should be doing. And I think that that comes with age and experience and Alexis and I both having our own paths and journeys that brought us together to this moment in time. Alexis is the ideal partner for me for several, several, several reasons. Values alignment, very, very strong. Goal alignment, very, very strong. Personal connection and relationship. We met at Reddit but we really built our relationship, the depth of our relationship through family. I met him before he was married, before he had his first child. And through those experiences that he had, he really built a very, very deep personal relationship, again, based on, on our families. I had one kid when we met, I now have two. And really being able to support one another on the personal side helped us forge and develop this, this relationship, this foundation for building the company that, that we wanted to. And so this is our third rodeo together, Reddit initialized and, and now building 776. And so we have a long, very solid history of a working relationship and a work dynamic that is very effective for us. And again, being aligned around the outsized returns that we know that we can create and we're building our track record now. And we were very proud of the returns that we've been able to produce so far and the opportunities that we've been able to capitalize on. Like I said, if you look at our portfolio and you squint really hard, a few things are obvious. We work with the very best founders. They may vary between industry and product, but at the end of the day, our founders are our lifeblood. The careers that you two have built, your time at Pixar, working with Steve Jobs, working with Ed Cartmel, when you say that you have the best portfolio founders, I believe that. And that was, as an investor, what made me so excited to join this journey with you guys. In my notes here, I've got in all capital letters with an exclamation point, Pixar. I'd love to talk about your time at Pixar, the movies that have come out of that organization have spoken to me and to friends and family in a way that very few other creative organizations have the breadth of, doesn't matter how old you are, what your gender is, like economics, ethnicities. What was it like to work at Pixar? Yeah, Pixar, it holds a very, very special place, not only on my resume, but in my heart. I have so many incredible relationships that I, I've gleaned from that experience. But for me, working at Pixar was the first time in my career that I 
made a very open-ended but intentional decision to change. So up until that point, I had taken several random, strange, 90-degree turns in my career, but they were fairly haphazard. Did I hear, um, did I hear that law on, enforcement was yeah. in, your, in your background at one point? Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell me about that? Yeah. Um, I, so like many of my jobs, I took the jobs that were available to me that paid the best. So I've been financially independent, which is another gift my mother has given me from a very young age. And And so a lot of my early jobs were really about paying rent or making sure that I could move through this life and make that car payment or buy my groceries that week. And so law enforcement, I worked, I was going to school at Humboldt State, woo, go lumberjacks. And I, I was the kid who had like, at minimum, I had three jobs all the time. There, there was a joke, like, how many jobs you've got, Caitlin? Because I, I was hustling. I was hustling to put myself through school a day in, day out. I spent more hours working than I spent in a classroom in my college career. The law enforcement job was actually working for uh, the police department up in Humboldt. And so I, I was able to get a really well-paying job for the time and for the location by being the police chief's assistant. Um, and so I started as an EA working for him in the back office. And, and then I I started covering other jobs within the within the force. And so I was the fingerprint girl. I, I even did a little bit of dispatch. And so the incoming calls for 911. Um, I was actually working at the police station during 9-11, which was absolutely harrowing, um, even though we were at this little tiny, you know, liberal arts college up in the middle of the Redwoods in California. Oh, it shook our country. Uh, there, the, yeah, it was it was insane. And, and the impact that it had, because we had to send out all of our... Um, we had a lot of uh, people on the force that were in the reserves. And so everyone got called out. And so it was like all hands on deck and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but anyway, I in that experience, here's a fun fact. I actually got to make three citizens arrests. Whoa. So how did, watch uh, out. Uh, yeah, I, I have never <laughs> been able to assert that authority that we all apparently have. And so, wow, there's a founder in our portfolio when I first met her she was giving me her background and she kind of slipped in that she was a private eye. And I was like, well, hold on, stop. Like, we're going to talk oh, about this. Yeah. And it was, it was fascinating. <laughs> and in that, in that conversation about like resourcefulness and awareness at the end of the private eye part of the conversation, I knew that we were going to invest because somebody that's willing and able to put themselves into those precarious spots and feel calm, cool, yeah. and collected, like, yeah, you're going to be able to run a normal company without breaking a without breaking a right. sweat. And so, <laughs> yeah, that'll be easy. And so you, it sounds like you consumed your jobs. You, you had a need in your life, and then you find the job, and you put the job into what it needs to be in your life. But Pixar, it sounds like, was the first time where the job was almost an ends in and of itself. Absolutely. Throughout my college experience, I really was was busy working. Yes, I attended school mostly and I I got great grades and I graduated early and all of that stuff, but I I really felt like I was rushing through that that experience because I was working so much to just cover, you know, tuition. And so I really feel like I didn't get a real college experience from a social a belongingness standpoint, from a, a learning capacity standpoint. And so when I went to Pixar when I when they finally let me in. I, I did apply once and was rejected and thought that I that was it was game over, but they they wound up calling me back very thankfully. But Pixar I actually call Pixar my college experience. That is where not only um did I have the highest uh 
level or opportunity for learning. So I personally had the space and the openness to learn. Two, it was a culture that was built around learning. That That is one of their core principles. And so learning was in, not only acceptable, but it was encouraged. I could talk a little bit about the programs that they had in place to support that or some of the values they had in place to support that. But I, I spent five years there and they, they were so incredibly formative, not just from a career perspective, but from a personal growth perspective. I really... I, I have so much gratitude for that time in life, but it was the first job that I had that I picked and I picked it with that mindset of, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I don't know where this is going to land me. And so at that point in my career, I, I had several fairly big titles. I was making really good money for my age and what I had been doing, but I was very unhappy. I was very unsatisfied in terms of like, how, how do I still not know what I want? And Pixar was the job that helped me move that mindset from I need to know what I want to do or will do with my career to I'm open. And so I dropped myself in the ranks uh, very intentionally. And were you, um, at that were point, you I've held a time? lot of. Or were you in the relationship with your with your current <laughs> with your husband? Yeah, we've been together since the dawn of okay. time and probably 15 lifetimes before that. I actually met him when I was five. So oh, wow. It's a long How story cool. for another day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But he was actually the one. He was the one who who lit the fire under my hiney to say, you are unhappy, my friend, and I don't really like who you are when you are in this space. I was working in advertising, and he was like, you should very seriously examine what it is that you are up to, my friend, because this is not a good look. How did you receive um, that when he and, said that to you? Oh, I broke up with him. <laughs> <laughs> Tossed his ass out. <laughs> um, I, I'm half joking. Yeah, but no, um, but like no, that is actually, when, you, when you're in a partnership and the other person is, um, especially when you know that that partner has like, I don't know anything about cars, but like lots of horsepowers, um, uh, and you want to see that operating at its full potential coaching, like present it, like doing whatever is needed to kind of help, help your partner be the best version of themselves. It can be a real challenge. And so I'm not surprised, like, I don't know if that was, that was a, uh, a, a genuine, like a, a truthful statement, but that about breaking up, but like, I wouldn't, it was. yeah, I believe it. <laughs> I totally believe it. And so, so you joined Pixar with this understanding that I'm doing like it's sort of like the school reference is like I'm getting great grades, I'm making good money, I'm earning the respect, you know, whatever that means, but I'm not getting satisfied. And you saw inside Pixar, I think something that could that could offer that. Yeah, just what what was it? The first thing I did was the job that I applied for, I very intentionally reduced my role back to an executive assistant. That was by design despite having had many other jobs and, and having earned my stripes in more senior positions prior to that, I very intentionally applied for the role of EA or executive assistant because I know the power of that role. And more importantly, the vantage point that that role has. So I never worked in film. I did not really have a creative background. I knew very, very little about the space, but what I knew going into this being very, very open and knowing that I wanted to go and make some incredible discoveries, not just about myself, but about what are the jobs. I didn't know that the job of, for example, script supervisor, which was my, my final departing role, I didn't even know that existed before I started there. But I knew that as an executive assistant, 
I would have that 30,000 foot view into the entire organization. I would understand the different functions, the different roles, the different departments, how they work together, what, what teams and what functions were dysfunctional, which ones were, were humming and very harmonious. And so it was by design that, that I took an EA role there. Thankfully, they, they felt it was the right fit as well. And because of that, I had access and exposure to the executive team, which again, at that point in my career, I learned a lot about internal dynamics and building relationships and the power of, of proximity. And so I was able to build very personal relationships with folks like Ed Catmull. He was the president, recently retired, the author of the book Creativity Inc., one of my dear friends and mentors. I was able to build a relationship with Steve Jobs, who back then was alive and very active in the studio, and really understand what made Pixar different. And I think that is that that's really kind of that core or the genesis of what I wound up packing away into my little backpack when I ultimately left the studio and, and transitioned into the world of, of tech and startups that spawned and built and grew and developed into the career that I have today. And it really was about the Pixar culture. And, and way, way back then, culture was not used in the organizational setting. It was not a word that we used to talk about corporate life or our jobs, but it was a feeling. And so how Pixar landed on my shortlist was that I knew I needed to be in a place that I was values aligned with. I knew I needed to work at a place that I felt really good about the output, the product that we were putting into the world. I knew that I, I wanted to be supported in a learning adventure <laughs> and I wanted to have fun. I really, and I still do to this day. It has been one of the, the core things that I look for in every job that I move to. I love to work. I desperately love to work. I am one of those people who has a problem, but, and not but, and because of that, I want to have fun while I'm doing it. I love hosting and I want everybody meet to have the same experiences that I have very fortunately had for the majority of my career in having that really wonderful deep sense of connection, not just with their work, but with their community at work. And so I, that is where I learned everything that I know today was at Pixar. That's so cool. They did so much right. Yeah. Your willingness to intentionally step into that EA role. I remember when I, that's just something I really respect. When I was graduating from college, I had an uncle who's a mentor to me and he said, Thomas, Whatever the company is that you respect the most, go go find your very favorite, the best company that you can work for. And then I do not care what job you get there. If you are scrubbing floors, you should not care. That yes. is where, and I was too proud to do it. And I picked oh. roles for the first couple of years of my career based on the title, based on my role inside that organization. And it was the absolute wrong way. It was like looking through the telescope backwards. Like it, and, and it, and, and it yeah. took me a while to, to figure that out. And I still feel like I'm kind of running, running the catch up because I, I just didn't have the maturity at that age. Um, so, and like, and now it's, oh, hard. it's so difficult. It's, it's really challenging to think about time on this scale that it actually is. When I was having our first child, a woman that, that I worked with said to me early on, the days are long and the years are short. And I, I, I yeah. wished that I would have had that awareness because if you, once you get to the, to the point where you can compound 
relationships and understanding in a in a place that's worth compounding like you're untouchable at that point like you just you go so much faster than your peers you left pixar and you and you've talked about how your very favorite job was your time at reddit i think that reddit gave to you a love of the internet as a way to love the world. I've heard you talk about a stranger that you met in a Reddit forum who helped you with the diagnosis of a medical condition that your son had. I know what it's like when this like weird amoeba of the internet and all the people that are out there somehow touches you in a way that changes your life. And then you just light up and you're like, oh my gosh, I'd love to hear about your time at Reddit. Yeah, you describe it so well, that kind of aha moment of the world being so much greater than yourself, but being so close because of the internet, because of technology, and the impact that that can have on us. And there, gosh, there's so many places I could go with this. When did you first I will hear start of Reddit? By Maybe that would be the question that I like, yeah. what was the origin story for, for you and Reddit? Totally. So I... Great starting place. I am a huge nerd, like a massive dork, just to put this in context. I am of the generation that was perfectly situated from like my my freshman year of college. I had the first T1 internet connection. We were the ones that we built the internet. So I remember the first time I hacked together my first computer, I think I was like, Twelve. I grew up with an Apple IIe in, in the, the house because my mom got a grant from her school and I'm absolutely dating myself right now. But sneaking onto the internet at night and trying to hide that sound of like the, oh, yeah. you know, I won't make it because yeah. this is a podcast that's irritating. <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? I've been on the internet for as long as the consumer internet existed. I fundamentally understood Reddit from the earliest, earliest days. And so when I joined the company, or when I took that very first interview, you ask how it compared to Pixar and having that really wonderful experience at Pixar and then trans, you know, transitioning over to the world of tech and startups, there was a pretty get, big gap between uh, Pixar and Reddit. And in there, I, I had another incredible experience that I won't wax poetic about, but it was a little company called Clout. And the beauty of Clout was that I was able to, and had the trust and the autonomy, we talk about partnerships on this show, and I found an incredible partner, in fact, a few incredible partners at Clout that really helped, not only helped me transition from film into tech, but really trusted me. So Joe Fernandez was the CEO of that company, and he was the first person to say, I trust your instincts, go and build what you need to build. So I actually started at, at that company as an EA as well. So I, that, that's kind of my move. Now you know one of my tricks. Every time I would change industries, I would put myself back in an EA role. What I learned at Clout was that there were so many things from Pixar that were transferable and were translatable. I remember three months into that gig, I had this moment of clarity as I was sitting in a board meeting for the first time and looking around the room with very important influential venture capitalists, having a conversation about people and culture. And back then, HR existed, people and culture did not. And I remember looking around the room being like, oh shit, I'm the HR lady. Oh, how do I pivot? How do I spin this? <laughs> and so like, I just want to acknowledge that, that I had an incredible opportunity pre-Reddit of discovering myself, discovering my voice, discovering my superpowers in that ultimately became translating all of the beautiful things that Pixar did so well and got so right from a culture perspective and translating that to 
not only a different industry, but to a very, very small organization and growing that from the earliest possible days into something that, that was successful. And so when you say, what was it about Reddit that made you want to join? I can tell you this, it was not the culture. Yeah. Three CEOs in less than a year. It was a company on fire almost literally. It was a company that was going through active trauma. They were in the news for all of the wrong reasons, very, very long lists of things that are, are public that were very unacceptable. And so at that point in my career, I wasn't necessarily looking for a great company to join. I was looking for potential an opportunity to build something and to create something that I knew could exist. And, and for me, it wasn't just about running into a burning building or being a martyr to go in and say like, oh, I can fix this. So I, di I didn't go into it thinking like, I have all of this incredible skill that I can apply and I can, I can change them, right? This wasn't going into a broken relationship to be the savior. I joined Reddit despite it being a, a company on fire or a sinking ship. I joined it because I knew the potential that it had. So having been a Redditor for such a long time, Having that experience in a forum with other mothers that helped what very much felt like saving my child's life at a, at a moment in a, a very postpartum moment in my life, being a first time mom, having the medical system and my doctors fail me and having the kindness of strangers on the internet provide me with the resources and information that I needed to find the health for my child that felt impossible. That experience alone I yeah. knew that's value. That's that Reddit value had more creation, potential than any right other there. company out like there. You just you see it, you feel it, you know that it's real, and you know that the internet scales it in such a yeah. way where you're like, "Damn it! Like we can make this work." Exactly. So, despite itself, <laughs> and and despite you know, it, I joined that that company. It was ten years old. They had never really had an HR leader in place. Uh, like I said, it, it, it was it was just a total mess, self proclaimed dumpster fire, and. Knowing what I knew about the product and the platform itself and knowing about the flaws, it, it certainly was not perfect, but, but knowing the untapped potential that I, I saw there. And it was a rare opportunity to join a company. I was like employee 75 and the company was 10 years old. So knowing the potential upside, knowing, knowing the, the, the epic opportunity that was really behind this role, I took the leap of faith. They, they trusted in me. They took the leap of faith with me and we built and, and we built together for four years and it was a phenomenal experience. And, and luckily for me, I, I made the right bet. There was a good chance. It was a 50-50 shot that the thing would just totally implode. And then I would be on my merry way to find my next VP role at another young company. But we got lucky, but we, we got lucky because we were intentional. And so it, it was a combination of, of this hard reset button and pressing that, which is where I met Alexis, who is now my partner at 776 and, and a dear friend and mentor and guide and all of those wonderful things, you know, again, bringing it back to partnership. I think that living through the experience of rebuilding Reddit at, at the time that we did together, I, I won't liken it to going to war because that's insulting to our soldiers, but it was a very hard thing to do. It was not easy, but it was fun. And we, we are so proud of the work that we did. And I, again, as with all of my other past experiences with companies, built relationships that will last a lifetime because of the experiences that we had together. I feel like if you walked into Reddit and just tried to solve everything that was broken, you would have ended up broken. But if you can pick the right points to apply pressure 
You can pick the right relationships to invest in. You can see where the green shoots are and foster that growth. Like when everything is kind of on fire and a mess, making order of that, honestly, I've yet to figure out how to do that successfully. For you to have had the experience you did at Reddit and walk away saying that it was your favorite job, I feel like you maybe figured something out here. ah, Gosh, I have so many thoughts trying to come out of my mouth (laughs) all at the same time. Um, (laughs) I think about what you're talking about a lot. What, why, when, and how do you run to the ball? Which balls? Why? Can I see all the balls? I think about this and get in my head about it way too much. But the answer that I've discovered, and again, it's a mindfulness exercise. I have to practice this probably daily when making the assessment of what to run to. It comes back to that conversation about curiosity that we were having earlier. What I did at Reddit is not wild and crazy and audacious. The first thing that I did was I listened. I was curious. What in the hell happened here? <laughs> what What's wrong? What's right? What's working for us? What's not? Um, and so I really spent those, those first several weeks in a really shitty little conference room where I, I sat in a really shitty chair <laughs> and I talked with every single one of those 75 employees and I listened. I needed to understand what, what was going on, uh, what really was behind that curtain. And what I learned in listening for those weeks was that people were deeply committed to the product that they were building. They were deeply committed to the communities, but they were not committed to one another for a variety of reasons. There was nothing that was unifying them as a group of people outside of the product that they were building. And because that was chaotic and broken, it was very, very hard to feel that sense of belongingness. And so for Reddit, it was actually really easy. Again, I feel like I get a lot of credit for doing the thing that that was so obvious, which was if we can create community and belongingness online with strangers who don't know one another at all, how can we do that in real life? And so I just took all of the principles and, and practices that we had online. I looked at the most thriving subreddits and said, what's working for them? And then I flipped it and did it in real life. So we, we had the IRL Reddit experience that was very, very different. We also had a bunch of people who were exhausted and tired. They'd been working for a really long time without real break and without any real wins to kind of fill their cups back up. And so started a a sabbatical program, let people go out to pasture and take a deep breath and take that rest and be with their families and be with their friends. About half of them came back and said, that was so needed. I'm ready to go. Tell me what to build. And the other half said, I just needed some space and I think I might need some more. And they didn't come back and that was okay. So we then created an alumni program to help them feel connected to the communities that they, they had spent in some cases a decade building. And so the, the short answer here is curiosity. Be curious, what motivates people? What are they driven to? Where do they find joy? Where do they find friction? And then you start doing that. You got your, your snapshot. You have your x-ray of the culture. And you can say, great, we've got a hot spot right here. Let's address that. So fatigue, that was one of them. So, okay, so we build a program for that. And so really, if you, if you take that beat, if you take that pause, if you take that moment to just listen and ask the right questions of the right people, 
you can you can get that that snapshot so that you can build a plan and it becomes very very digestible very bite sized where you can say okay great we'll do this how did that work let's pilot that let's try that and, and then you, you build and grow from there. That was awesome. <laughs> seeing what's working and then trying to scale it like holding up that mirror and seeing what's the best of yourself and then trying to map that to the rest of the space um recognizing that that people who are beaten down asking more of them asking asking for them to be better like asking for an empty cup to somehow pour something out like it's just not going to happen and so being pragmatic about that i will have many many future questions about this because this is really like getting at like my where i am in my career as an investor who grew up with spreadsheets and intrinsic values and stock prices i was a public markets hedge fund analyst for 11 years now really believing and feeling and seeing t- multiple times over that companies are just people if you can create the right environment for high performing people to do something magical together then like from a returns perspective like get get out of the way how did your journey put the destination of founding 776 with Alexis on the board. I've got a tremendous amount of respect for Initialized. For those that don't know, Initialized is one of the most beloved venture funds. It's got one of the best return track records. Gary Tan, if you haven't watched his YouTube videos, they're fantastic. They are educational, inspirational. Like They just cover so much ground. And now what you and Alexis are building with your first principles I just think it's really wonderful and I count my blessings to, to, to be a part of this ride. How did, like, I don't know. So with that kind of as the direction, the transition or the evolution towards being a capital allocator, being a coach of other entrepreneurs, how did that take hold to the point where now it's your, it's your main thing? Yeah, uh, Great question. I'm going to go back in time again, those early days right after I left Pixar, actually, when I think critically about this, because I I get asked this question all the time. And like I said, most people put it in the the category of, wow, that was a big career pivot. I don't think that it is. I don't don't think it's a career. It's totally not not at all. Like, (laughs) like, I think that I think from a from an intrinsic value from like a what companies are worth point of view where you've honed your craft is at point, point zero, the epicenter of where value creation and capture occurs. Yeah. It wasn't like I, I decided to, it wasn't like I woke up one day and was like, I quit Reddit. I quit HR. I quit these things and I'm going to go and do finance. That statement, like, like that leap is big and weird and wild. And again, on paper, on a LinkedIn profile, that's what it looks like. But the reality is I've actually been an investor for a very long time. And I, it just doesn't look like an investor on paper. And so one of my greatest joys now that I sit on kind of this side of the, the, the boardroom table or, or this side of the fence or whatever you want to call it, is helping people understand that anyone can be an investor. So when I say I've been investing since those days right after I left Pixar, um, I should even go back further and I will do this quickly. I will say I grew up with very little. I don't come from a family that is wealthy. I come from a family of hard workers. And I think that something that I missed somewhere along the line in my own personal development education was understanding how much you can do without having money. Because like I said, my whole life I had been working and working to get that paycheck 
in, in able to live, right? To paycheck to paycheck, paying bills, making sure that I could put food on the table for myself and try to earn a little bit extra to enjoy th those extra moments of those minutes when I wasn't working. Um, and I've shared that I'm a bit of a workaholic. It just is who I am because I have been doing it since I was 13 years old. I've been working a 40 hour week since I, before I could drive. So like I work, I love to work. I didn't know that I was making investments along the way. And so this is something that I want to share with anyone who will listen, but especially women, because I think that from my own personal lived experience, I think that a lot of women probably were taught a lot of the similar things that I was. And so when I say I've been an investor for a very long time, it was in the moment when I left Pixar and started working at Clout. So I, I got into the world of, of venture backed startups and I was given my first employee stock option grant. And I was like, the heck is this? What does this mean? You know, at Pixar, we ultimately, we, we wound up being a part of Disney. And so I had some RSUs, but they, it was a really small amount and I didn't really know what it meant and whatever. And, and yet, whatever, it didn't matter. But I, I was working for my paycheck from like a compensation and wealth generation standpoint. And that was paycheck to paycheck. And so going to clout and then be given this stock option grant, not knowing at all what it was, and then ultimately being in the position where I had to explain it to other people as the person that was recruiting, giving offers, maintaining our compensation practices. I had to learn what it meant. And when I saw those numbers, when I saw that first cap table, I was like, holy heck, people need to know about yeah. this. And so the uh, first investment uh, could be simply putting yourself in the right position at a company to start putting some of those numbers on the board for yourself. And as we know with startups, those have a great potential to turn into absolutely zero because that is the dice that you roll in the startup world. But what I did, and the reason I say I was an investor was not just because I was an employee of a company and I got my first stock options, but because I had built my network and I was learning so much about the world of HR, about developing what we ultimately would call people and culture and taking HR out of the back room and putting it into the boardroom and really changing the dynamics of how culture is built and how culture is valued as it relates to the success or the outcome of a company. From a financial standpoint, I became very, very savvy around finances. And so what I did in those early days of being in the startup world, I started putting more chips on the table by advising for other companies. And so while I didn't have money at that point to invest in the stock market or to angel invest by writing checks into other companies, I started trading what I had. I had time, I had skill, I had knowledge, I had experience, even just simply showing up and being in the front row of an audience to support somebody was a value exchange for me. And so it, it completely changed the way I thought about not just money, but things of value and how I could leverage things that I had that were of value. And so I started building my, my early portfolio without spending a dime. I, I got very heavily involved in HR tech companies because I needed them, <laughs> not because I necessarily had a network for it, well, because I was desperate for a machine and a robot to do the boring, crummy part of my job so that I could do the creative, strategic, empathetic work that I knew that I was good at and that had higher value to my company. And so I started working with young founders who were building the software solutions that I needed to do my job back at Cloud. And so by doing that, I was exchanging my time, my expertise, my questions, my product feedback and input 
for equity in companies. And so I've been building my portfolio now for well over a decade and started to see the financial benefits and gains of those companies and their exits. And so, yes, Poppy Seed was technically my first check. It was the first time I was exchanging money that I had earned and made for my spot on a cap table. But I really had been doing that for 10 years prior by simply exchanging what I did have. I love that. I mean, one of my hokey lines, and I've got a lot of hokey lines. I'm like mostly Chet Ripley from Great Outdoors, John Candy's character. Four parts that, one part Fred Rogers, and then one part, I don't know, some Slipknot or corn, some metal from when I was in high school. It's a really (laughs) weird combination. But from an investing perspective, um, invest and you, but use money only when necessary. I have really appreciated this. I wanted to end with your rapid fire from your podcast, All Hands, which you do an awesome <laughs> job with that, by the way. I listened to the last season and I just, I oh, love it. You do you. your closing questions better than pretty much anybody that I've listened to. We just recently started with our own traditional closing question. It came as a result of our youngest, our fourth, our baby has been a real pain in the ass and he won't go to bed at night. <laughs> And I know it's It's too exciting. Oh my gosh, something. (laughs) And I have found that to calm him, actually, it's about calming myself in this as well. And so I've been singing to him before bed. And I grew up on Cat Stevens. And it's like, if anybody ever asked me to sing it, I would not do it. Like you could put a nail through my hand and I still wouldn't. But it it has me thinking about the importance of (laughs) of song and music and and family cultures. And and so it's made me really want to ask What's your favorite song? And if you can kind of share anything about it, would be would be wonderful. And it doesn't have to be your all time. It's such a big hard. It's question. It's a big hard yeah. question. Okay. I've had people give me Chopin songs that remind them of grandfather that they never met. I've had "Lose Yourself" by Eminem. Both are wonderful and awesome. <laughs> okay, I have I have two. Two is good. I have two answers. I think of the first one because of, of the lead up of the question, which is you singing to your child at night. And I have very fond memories of listening to the Beatles' White Album with my dad on repeat, vinyl. We were living up in Alaska, and the song Rocky Raccoon, which is funny because I normally say raccoon when I'm talking about the animal, but when I talk about the song, it's Rocky Raccoon because that's the way my dad said it. And so that that's pick number one, just that, you know... It, brings back all the feels and and very, very nostalgic for me. And then the second answer will be the the current like top of my Spotify playlist on repeat that will absolutely date this show is a song that I sing with my kids. If you were to ask my my boys, what's what's your mom's favorite song? They would say it's Heat Waves by Glass Animals. Um, and mostly because it was recently I June. And I don't know this part one. Of the I, lyrics, I, I, but uh, that, I'm excited for the dance party that will ensue as dinner is prepared tonight. We'll pull in totally. some glass animals. Yeah. Caitlin, Love this it. has been so much fun. We started this conversation with me saying, I don't really know why I'm doing this podcast. I still might not be very good at it, but damn, I've had a really good time talking to you. Thomas, you are fantastic at this. <laughs> Stop it with the self-deprecation. You, you are a wonderful host. Uh, it is so fun to chat with you. I've really, really enjoyed my time, and I, I, I want to yeah. keep hanging. So, oh, so oh, let's, let's do it. There's a, one a thing that I have to slip in, and this is selfish, and it's kind of a joke, but it's also not. It's, a, it's about high school metal. So my wife and I, we just started 
this crazy plan where we're going to, we're going to be houseless from October until February. So we're going to be traveling around, seeing family and we're going to go, we're going to go to New Zealand for about six weeks and we're going to rent a camper van and we're, we're just going to grab, grab a dream Dream. and say, come here, you, um, one of my favorite musicians is this guy, Serge Tankian, who uh, is of a band System of a Down. He's Armenian. Uh, he, and, he and Alexis oh, yeah. are buddies. If there's any way that you can help me and get, get, an, get an audience with Serge, he lives in New Zealand. Um, if it doesn't happen, that's totally fine. But in my lying awake at night moments where I'm just like, am I, am I trying to do the things that actually fulfill my dreams? asking this question, like, I just can't, I can't say yes to that unless I, unless I, and, and so if it doesn't work out, it's totally fine. But for my, for my, Oh my God, I, I love this so own, much. Like just well being and feeling like I'm, I'm trying to do the things that I really shoot want. Your shot, man. God, I'm so glad you finished. I support I'm so this. glad you finished with the shoot your shot. Reference. Yes. <laughs> it is it, man. I, I am so supportive. I will absolutely ask him and and give you the follow-up. Uh, I support this for so many reasons. One huge system of a down fan, nineties kid through and through Two, the Armenian connection works for him. And three, why not? All, all we can do is get the answer. He's he's been such an inspiration to me Uh, from a young (laughs) person, you know, it would be the fulfillment of a weird journey for me to say like, hey, like you really spoke to me at a time when I needed that. And now that I maybe have something to give being in this capital allocator seat, like I'm raising my hand, I'm asking what what can I do to help? Because I think that he's somebody who has a point of view on the world yeah. that, that I would like, I'd like to find like where in that, that I can apply myself and show up to work in that way. And if it doesn't happen, that's totally cool. It doesn't have to. It's about trying. It's not about, it's not, it's about, <laughs> you know, it's like my favorite movie is Rudy and, and Rudy's best friend, Pete oh, says, yeah. uh, uh, he says, um, you know, it's what my dad says. Having dreams is what makes life tolerable. And I, and I think that that's so true. It doesn't, it's not about achieve, like don't, you actually don't want to achieve your dreams because once you do, it's like a sad and lonely moment, but that feeling of striving and wanting and, and being able to reconnect with the things that you used to want very badly and finding a way to still yeah. participate and be that same person, giving honor yes. to that. Um, it's really fun. So oh. Caitlin, we're over time. Thank you so freaking much for this. I really appreciate it. Um, we got to do this again sometime. I agree 100%, Thomas. Thank you so much for the inclusion. I, I have enjoyed every single second of this conversation. So thank you. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. This has been an Unlimited Partners production. The show is edited and produced by Andrew Thomas, and our music was composed by Nick Samaska. If you'd like to receive more Unlimited Partners content, then please sign up for our private podcast feed. You can do that by visiting our website, up-pod.com. 